all we did all weekend was eat, eat and play board um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and, uh, and get started. Um, I want to remind you. <laughs> John's like, yep, time to go. That didn't take long. He usually, he'll usually make the, the, about the first ten minutes. But, uh, <laughs> Prop- <laughs> Prophecy series with Keith Fletcher uh, later on this month. I think it's around the 15th, 16th, 17th. Um, just want to remind you about that. Um, did anybody make any New Year's resolutions? Wendy? None? Dale? The only thing I did was make uh, decide to make a vocal for another job. Okay. Get another job. Dale? No? I mean, why improve on perfection, right? No. I, I need a lot of uh, improvement. There you go. My deal with New Year's resolutions is you can't start anything on January the 1st. Can't think about it for a little Especially if it's food-related. There's right. just so much, so much food left. Food hanging around the house. <laughs> you have to start tomorrow. you got to start the Monday after, you know. Well, that I don't, didn't necessarily mean that you started it already. I'm asking you, have you resolved to do anything in 2016? What about you, John? No? Julia? I'm still working on it. Still working on it? I resolved to do several things this year. One of the things I resolved to do is to lose the same 20 pounds again. So, same 20. I've lost it before and I've found it again. And it's kind of like the prodigal. It keeps coming, keeps coming back, and I just rush out to embrace it. You know, take it back in. Let's kill the fatted calf and have a party. Um, yeah, I've, uh, I've made some resolutions, that one being one, um, kind of recommit to my fitness regimen, which is going to require me waking up earlier in the morning because in the afternoon, whenever I get home, it just, it ain't going to happen. I'm either too tired or there's too much to do. So anyway, um, what I want to do today is I want to finish our series boxes that we started a year ago, uh, and uh, we want to we finish this up today, and I'm not going to take a lot of time to review, but I do want to go back and touch on a few things just because it's been a while since we handled that material. Um, boxes, this series has been about perspective, about how I see what I see, and because of my lack of perspective, what I often think of as being the problem isn't really the problem. The problem is you. The problem is me. The problem is, is us. We have, we have seen the enemy, and they are us. We are the problem. The basic concepts of this series uh, is the process of, of how we get in the box. When I know to do good for someone and I don't do it, then that's an act of self-betrayal. And that puts me in a bind because whenever I know I should do good for somebody but I don't do it, that means I'm a hypocrite. And nobody likes to be a hypocrite. So that puts me in a place where I need justification. But I don't go to Jesus for my justification because I already feel like a hypocrite. So instead, what I do is I I self-justify. I resort to this twisted human approach to justify my self-betrayal. So, Tommy, I knew I should have done something for you. 
I, I saw that you were discouraged, and I knew that I should have taken the time to, to go out and have a cup of coffee with you and encourage you because I knew what was going on in your life, but I didn't do it. And that makes me feel like a hypocrite. So now I've got to self-justify. I can't really go to Jesus with that because I haven't done what I knew I was supposed to do. So, well, I mean, you know, Tommy, he's got all kinds of inconsistencies anyway. I mean, it's not like that's the only thing that was wrong in his life. I mean, he had other stuff going on too. And I mean, it's not like that anything I would have said, he probably wouldn't have listened anyway. So it's a twisted form of self-justification. Now, none of what I just said is true. I'm just using unfortunate Tommy uh, as an example here, but we resort to this twisted human approach to, to justification. And what I do whenever I, whenever I resort to that is I magnify somebody else's faults and I magnify my own virtues. And that's self-deception. And this self-deception, it distorts my reality. It gives me this false perspective on myself and others. I'm not looking at Tommy as he really is and I'm not looking at myself with a lens that's that's real either. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the box. That's the box. And so we spent a few Sundays at the beginning of this series defining the box, what it is, what it looks like. We talked about how we get in the box and how we tend to stay in the box. But then we started talking about ways of, of how we get out of the box towards someone. And the first thing is to just want to be out of the box. I've got to want to change my perspective of how I view someone or a group of people. And that right there, that one thing right there goes a long way toward wrecking the boxes that we opt to, to just want to change how I view someone, how I view a group of people. Another thing that we can do to get out of the box is to get our justification from Jesus and not our own good works. Um, to remember my own need of Jesus. Remember, it's that whole you know, tree growing out of the eye thing. How can I focus on that one little thing that Chris has wrong in his life and neglect the forest that I've got growing out of mine? Um, so if I focus on my own need of Jesus, it's going to move me out of the box. Don't treat another person or a group of people as an object or a means to an end. We tend to do this in politics a lot. And, you know, there's this this increasing crossover between religion and politics and groups of people that um, believe a certain thing or live a certain way become objects. They become a means to an end that we point at and we say, well, that's how they are and that's what they do and that's not right because that's not Bible and they become a means to an end and an object to advance our own agenda or make ourselves feel better, self-justification. Having a sense of wonder toward God. Just being in awe of God and who He is and what He does um, will get us out of the box. Do for others what I should do for them. <laughs> Just don't be a hypocrite, Jason. That'll get me out of the box. And then we also talked about forgiveness. We spent a couple of Sundays talking about forgiveness. Now what I'm about to do right here, this, this is dangerous. What I'm about to do is dangerous. Do not try this at home, okay? This is not safe. But I'm going to ask a question in which I'm questioning the relevancy of my own teaching. Throughout the past few months that we've been through this box stuff, has it impacted you in any way? 
Has it made you think differently about someone or something? Has it made you think differently about yourself? Because ultimately the idea is to not point at somebody and say, you're in the box. The idea is to look in the mirror and say, Jason Cooper, you, sir, are in a box. It's all about self-reflection, self-evaluation. Okay, well, cool. I'm glad to see that. I, there are, for those of you out there in podcast land, there are a few people nodding their heads, affirming me, and uh, letting me know that, yes, this has actually um, done something for me. Remember, guys, this, uh, it doesn't work. It does, this box stuff does not work to, to tell somebody else you're in a box, especially if that other person is your spouse or close family member. It doesn't work. Casey, it's not going to work for you to tell Chris, Chris, you're in a box and you need to stop being in a box. That's not what it's about. Because uh, whenever I tell Julia, hey, woman, you're in a box, what I'm doing is I'm encouraging her to stay in her box while I remain in mine. Um, remember, that the box is a distorted reality that you become convinced is Right? That's what the box is. It's a distorted reality that you are convinced is right, but it isn't. It's not reality. I told you this is all about perception. That box of yours is not real. So if I really want the benefit of Julia getting out of her box, what do I need to do? i got to get out of mine. So in practical terms, what that means is I have to want to get out of my box toward her. That means I'm going to be the one that changes, not her. I have to forgive her. I have to do for her what I know I should do. I have to be in awe of God and have a sense of wonder toward Him in my relationship with her. And as we're going to see today, I have to be generous. Today we're going to talk about, what we're really going to talk about is money. But what we're kind of talking about is getting out of the box through generosity. Now this point right here, this, this point that I'm about to give you, this one is important. So listen closely. Generosity, giving, demands that we stop doing something that we are all very good at. We have to stop consuming. And we're great at it. I'm really good at it. I'm probably better at it than anybody else in this room. We have to stop our consumer, what can I get, what's in it for me, what's the next thing, Mindset, if we're going to get out of the box by being generous and by giving. Folks, God calls us to be producers, not consumers. We should aspire to a life that produces more than it consumes. Well, that's a nice statement, Jason. Where, where are you getting that in the Bible? Okay. Question, did Jesus come to serve or be served? He came to serve. Did Jesus come to take or did he come to give? He came to give. So there's my Bible for it. 
Jesus wants us to live a life that's like His, that produces more than it consumes. That produces as much as it can. Jesus was, this is the flesh and blood, earth-walking embodiment of the almighty Jehovah God. Okay? He was the creator made flesh. That's what we believe. So Jesus then was the flesh and blood embodiment of the ultimate producer. And if we're going to truly pattern our lives after His life, then we will produce more than we consume. And if we're going to get out of the box through giving and generosity, then we've got to stop doing something that we're really good at. We've got to stop consuming so much. The call of God, folks, is that we give more than we take. The minute that we enter into this conversation, though, people start to, they start to tighten up. Uh, y'all know that there are certain topics that get people wound up. You know, certain conversational buttons that you can push that instantly, it just makes things go nuclear. Things like religion, politics, health, death, faith. I mean, there, there are some things you just know that, well, I mean, there's just, I'm, not, I'm going to avoid that topic with certain people because you know the tendency. But the most difficult conversation that you can have is about money. When's the last time you told somebody how much you make in a year? It's none of their business what I'm making, right? Whenever it comes to this topic of money, it's like immediate, you just slam on the brakes. We don't don't really talk about it. And it's kind of become one of those things that's really sensitive in a church setting. Um, According to a recent survey by Wells Fargo, 44% of the people that they surveyed said that matters dealing with personal finance were the most challenging conversation that they could have. Not morality, not growing in love, not faith. It's money. Death, that's that's a pretty difficult topic. Death was second place, 38%. 38%. People would rather talk about death then talk about money, at least according to this, this one survey. That should tell us something. Let me give you a few statistics current as of October 2015. The average credit card debt among households that have debt, $16,140. The average mortgage among households that have a mortgage, $155,360. In total, Americans owe $11.8 trillion. Between credit cards, cars, mortgages, whatever else, $11.8 trillion. 
There's $890 billion in credit card debt alone in this country. $890 billion. In the 2015 Stress in America survey, I find it amazing that there is even such a thing called the Stress in America survey. Money tops the list as the top stressor for Americans. It it has topped the list since they started doing this survey in 2007. Here are the highlights. 72% of adults report feeling stressed about money at some point. But 22% reported feeling extreme stress, which is a rating of 8, 9, or 10, over the past month regarding money. 32% of respondents indicate that a lack of money prevents them from living what they consider a healthy lifestyle. I find that amazing. A third of the people were surveyed said, I can't live what I think is a healthy lifestyle because I don't have the money to do it. You know what the number one hindrance is, folks, to living generously? Maybe in a roundabout way. Being in debt. Debt, folks, is the number one hindrance to living generously. And whenever you break that down, Tommy, it's selfish because it means we're living beyond our means uh, so we can satisfy this desire for something that we have. We borrow so that we can have more. I'm not talking about Brian borrowing in a business sense so that I can work a deal. I'm talking about borrowing so I can consume more. Has God called us to live generously? Yes, yes, He has. Is it better to live as a giver or as a consumer? It's better to live as a giver. Which one is more satisfying? Come on, y'all know, y'all know this. I have been through this myself. You have too. There's this thing that you want, and you want it, and you want it, and then you get it. And then there's like this post-getting letdown, right, that comes along. But what about the feeling whenever you give something? Does that feeling go away? The, the two are not, they're not even in the same spectrum. They're so vastly different. The sense of fulfillment, that feeling of rightness that comes whenever, whenever you give. So folks, if debt is, is choking our finances and keeping us from living how we know we should, if it's keeping us from living how we know is most satisfying, then what should we do? Get out of debt. If our finances, guys, if our, if our finances are held hostage because we constantly consume more than we know we can afford, what should we do? We should stop consuming more than we know we can afford. We should get out of debt, Jason. We should get out of debt so we can give. If we can live within our means and get our sense of worth from God instead of the Joneses, 
then we can become generous and live a healthy and a fulfilling life. It's not that we're evil. That's not it. This is not meant to condemn you. It's not meant to condemn me. It's just that we've, we've just kind of allowed the tides and, and the currents of culture to carry us away from what we know we should be doing. Um, we, we've drifted. We've just kind of sat back and let the current carry us along and, and we floated to a point that suddenly we look up and we can't even see the shoreline of where we know we should be. And so priority one, folks, is to, is to tackle the debt. And I know it's a, it's a little uncomfortable, um, maybe a, a little quiet, and maybe you're wondering, wow, why is Jason doing this? Shouldn't this be a, like a pastoral thing? Until we have the hard conversations that we need to have about money, then this is going to be an area of our life where we remain in a box. So I don't, I don't even know where to start, Jason. I hear what you're saying, and it sounds good, and it makes sense, and I can even see the value of it or what the value could be in my life, but where do I start? Dave Ramsey's a great place to start. I know that seems stupid to some of you, but the guy's got a rock-solid plan for how to get out of debt. And uh, if you don't know where to start, that's a great place to start. You could start in a lot worse places than doing some of the stuff that Dave Ramsey recommends. Um, so, you know, say what you want to, but the guys, he's got a plan for getting out of debt. What, do you, what have you got? <laughs> you got a plan for getting out of debt? He does. God doesn't want you, uh, he doesn't want you, I don't want you to, I don't want me to, and God doesn't want us to either. He does not want us to live like slaves. He doesn't want you to be in financial bondage. Proverbs 22 and 7 says, Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is slave to the lender. Just as the rich rule over the poor, so the borrower, the consumer, the one who lives beyond their means, is a slave to the lender. And Jesus does not want any of us to live in bondage like slaves. So when we continue to live beyond our means, and I'm, I'm, I'm not even talking about the unforeseen catastrophic things that can happen. Somebody losing a job, somebody getting really sick. I mean, you can run down the list. There's all kinds of horrible things that can happen that can send you into, the, into debt. But that persistent attitude of, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, we're essentially, what we're doing there, and this, this happened in my brain this morning, is we're saying, Jesus, I know you don't want me to live as a slave. Thanks, but no thanks. Here. I appreciate what you did, Jesus, but I'd rather live this way. Whenever we continue to want, 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 consume, 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 that's, that's what we're doing. Jesus tried to warn us about that type of relationship with money and with possessions. Uh, in Matthew 6 and 24, he said, get this straight, nobody can serve two masters. 
For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other, but you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus said you, you can't do it. it. It's not. It's a physical impossibility for you to do that. It's not that you won't. It's not that you won't even try. But you, it's impossible for you to do that. You're going to have to serve one and not serve the other. You know, there's a, in, in the New Testament, Paul writes several times about being um, a servant. Doulos is the Greek word. D-U-L-O-S. Doulos. Its literal translation is slave. Paul said, I am a slave, a servant, a slave to Jesus. I would rather be his servant and his slave than a slave and a servant to money, to consumerism, to materialism. If you're up to your eyeballs in debt, then you don't need me to tell you this. You are bound to that. You're bound to it. You're a slave to it. It's getting more of your time. It's getting more of your energy. It's, it's getting more of your thoughts. Well, which one? Who are you serving? If it's getting a majority of your time, a majority of your thoughts, a majority of your energy, then who are you serving? It's kind of quiet in here this morning. I want to be clear on this point. Um, and y'all have heard me say this before. Money is not evil. It's an indicator. It's not evil. It's an indicator. It's a, it's a gauge on your spiritual dashboard. Uh, it's, a, it's a compass that points to the true north of your heart. You want to know where you're really headed? You want to know what you, you value? Look at where the money goes. It's that simple. You want to know what's important to you? Look at where you're spending your money. You want to know what you really worship? What you really worship? Follow the money trail. Your money is it's telling you and God and everybody else what you really value what you really worship, what you really think is important. This, this is a box, ladies and gentlemen. Debt is a box that we live inside of that distorts our reality. So now we're going to start using some of that box language. And you take it from somebody that's made his fair share of mistakes with money. Uh, Julie and I, we don't do everything right. We don't. Uh, we, I think we do more right than we do wrong. But there's certainly places where we can improve and get better. But debt, for somebody that's had debt, still has a little bit of debt, is uh, it's a box of distorted realities. Because what seems so vital and seems so important when you're in that box isn't really. What takes priority whenever you're in that box of debt 
it's a distorted reality. It's not what really is the priority. Ecclesiastes 5 and 10 puts it this way. The one who loves money is never satisfied with money, nor the one who loves wealth with big profits, more smoke. That's the message translation, but I love it. It's, it's more smoke. Somebody asked John D. Rockefeller one time. I'm guessing everybody in here knows who John D. Rockefeller is. He had a lot of money. Somebody asked him, when is enough enough? And to that he replied, just a little more. Where's the end in that statement? There's not one. There isn't one. It's, it's smoke. It's an illusion. You, can, you, never, you never get there. <laughs> Folks, it's a, it's a distorted reality. It's a box. So how do we get out? How do we get out of this box? How do we get out of the box through giving or being generous? Because we can't just walk into heaven and give Jesus a 20. It'd be really easy. Uh, if that was the case. And, and, you know, we'd probably need to give him a little bit more than, than a 20. But how, how do we use this, this vehicle of generosity to get out of the box? Well, what we do is we give to things that we believe God is doing. We give to the things that we perceive to be His kingdom and His work here on earth. We commit to giving in the areas close to where He has planted us. We ascribe worthship to the workings of His kingdom around us. And if it's worthy, if it has worth, then we give to it. We worship with our giving what He's doing in our immediate vicinity. Folks, the, the apple, if left to do its natural thing, falls close to where it's planted. Now, it might become a new baby apple tree, or, you know, it's living right there close to mama apple tree, or it may, through a natural process, give itself to nourish the tree from which it came and continue to feed the production cycle. One of those two things is going to happen. Likewise, we get out of the box through generosity by sowing into the work of God close to where He's planted us. It's the natural process. And this is not a commercial or an ad campaign for Grace Church. This is a practical application of the concept. If Grace Church has been a positive influence in my life and a blessing in my life, why not sow back into the tree? John, if Lighthouse Ranch has had a positive influence in your life, the lives of people close to you, lives of people that you know, then, then why not sow back into that tree? If the youth team here at Grace Church is having a positive influence on your kids then why not sow back into that tree, sow back into that work? You can go down the list. The question remains the same. If it's a worthy endeavor, 
why not really ascribe some worship to it by giving to it? Why not worship God by giving to what He is doing closest to you? Just being practical. In the Bible, uh, there's this lady named Mary, not Mary the mother of Jesus, the other Mary. Uh, she established this principle very, very nicely. Check this out in Matthew 26. It says, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had been healed previously of leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. And the disciples were indignant whenever they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said, why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You'll always have the poor among you, but you're not always going to have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Mary comes in and she breaks this jar, this, this, this alabaster bottle. The King James Version calls it an alabaster box. Somebody say box. She broke the box. To get the perfume out, she broke the box. She gets right up close to where Jesus is because she pours the perfume over or the oil over his head, right? She gets right up close to where Jesus is. She gets up close and personal and she breaks the box. And it's been pointed out, y'all have probably heard this before, that these alabaster boxes, they didn't come with like some type of flip open screw type lid or a plug or, or something like that. You had to break the container to get at the contents. It's the, it's the brokenness. I wish Kara Swallow was in here right now because she talked about how the word that she's praying over this year is yield. It's the brokenness, Kara. It's, it's the yielding of our finances that allow the anointing to flow. God, it's not my money. I'm yielding, I'm surrendering, I'm breaking this box and placing value and worship on what you've been doing in my life. So I break this box and pour it out on you. I don't want money to be my God. I, I want you to be my God. So I'm going to break this box and give. Now this is significant because Mary hadn't always been a giver. If you read this story in John, in the previous chapter, she was a taker. She was a consumer. She looks at Jesus and she says, We sent for you four days ago to come and heal our brother Lazarus, but you didn't come whenever we told you to come. And so now he's dead. Where were you, Jesus? 
If you would have been here like we had asked you to, then he wouldn't have died. Well, come on, consumers. Where were you, pastor? Where were you, church? Where were you, Mr. Sunday school teacher? Because I sent for you days ago. And you didn't do church the way I needed you to do church, and now I'm hurting and it's your fault. Jesus, you know what, Jesus? He said, it's okay, Mary. Because your brother, he's going to live again. And Mary's like, yeah, whatever. In the resurrection, I guess one day he's going he's gonna to live. Mary had faith for the past, and she had faith for the far future, but she had no faith for, for the current, for the time, for the immediate. And so what did Jesus do for her? Did he say, well, fine, Mary, you just stay in your box? Uh-uh. You know what Jesus did? He climbed into her box. <laughs> he said, okay, Mary, watch this. Roll the stone away from Lazarus' tomb. And Mary's like, whoa, 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 wait. Hold on. Hold on a minute. You're messing with the box. Now, there's something in there that's dead and stinking. He's been in there for four days, Jesus. He stinks. You don't want to go in there. Jesus said, I'm not going in the box. I'm doing away with the need for a box. You don't need the box anymore. I'm removing the purpose for the box in the first place. Lazarus, come on out. You don't even need this box. And that, 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 that event had a profound impact on Mary. Because she went from being a taker and a consumer to a giver and a producer. So we see it in the next chapter. Jesus isn't the one snatching that box from her and saying, Mary, you need to bless me with this. Give me the box. Give me the box, Mary. Give me the box. Let me break the box. He's not having to do that anymore. Mary's surrendering. She's yielding. She's breaking the box herself. You know, some scholars seem to think we're almost done. Some scholars seem to think that this box of Mary's was a betrothal gift in this culture. Anybody ever read that before? The girl's parents would save up, and, and they were expensive. They contained a, a, a pricely perfume or oil, but the boxes themselves were expensive, and the parents would save up for the purchase of these boxes and the contents and then give the box to their daughters as a gift for her to give her betrothed husband. And she would bring the box, upon her betrothal, she would bring the box to her future husband and give it to him as a way of saying, you're the one for me. I don't want anybody else, I want you. You're the one for me, and I'm the one for you here. It was, it was expensive, it was costly, it was valuable. Mary could have sold that box and done something else with the money. She could have held on to it and used it for her own purposes later. As a side note, Mary probably wasn't in debt because otherwise the debt collectors would have come and taken the box. That's just Jason, though. I'm just going to slide that in there for free. But she yielded it to Jesus. He didn't take it. She yielded it to Him.
Now, you can be cynical. You can. You can sit there and be cynical about this all you want. All, all he's doing is, is a commercial for Grace Church. He's just trying to get my money. And that's, I can't do anything to help you. If, that is your, if, that's your, if that's your mindset, I can't do anything to help you with that. I can tell you that the Bible's pretty clear that whenever we are yielded in our attitudes and approaches to money, blessings and anointing flow. And until you are yielded in those attitudes and approaches to money, there's going to be certain anointings and blessings that aren't going to happen. He's not going to snatch the box out of your hand. You break it and give it. So let's get real practical. Let me give you some action steps. This is how to get out of the box through being generous. How to get out of the box through giving. Number one, get a death grip on your debt. Strangle it and kill it. (laughs) Okay? That's step number one. Work out a budget. Stick to it. Get out of debt. There are tools available to help you. Dave Ramsey's a good place to start. That's not the only one, but it's good stuff. I've been through Financial Peace University before. It's good. I don't always do what Dave wants me to do, but it's still good stuff. Um, so number one, get a death grip on your, de- on your debt and kill it. Number two, look at where your money's going. According to the money trail, what's really valuable to you? Make a commitment to God to worship Him by giving financially to something that you believe is His work here on earth, if you're not already. Make a commitment. God, I've got five extra dollars in my budget. I'm trying to pay off my debt. I've got five bucks every two weeks is what I can give. Where can I give it? That is your kingdom working right here on earth right now. Is there something that you are currently, and follow the money trail, is there something you are currently worshiping with your money that you don't really value? If so, then redirect the flow. I'm going to be real plain with you. I spend a lot of money every month on direct TV. I don't always care I care more during football season than any other time of the year but I don't always care to be quite honest and transparent that's something that the flow could be redirected just trying to make a concrete example and we're going to delete this recording later number three look at what God is doing close by up close and personal what has blessed you What's made an impact in your life? What's made a spiritual difference in your life? Give to it. Ask somebody. (laughs) I want to give. Where can I give? What can I do? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've blessed us with. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for showing us different ways to get out of the box Lord, direct our eyes and help us to be perceptive about what we're doing with our money because it's an indicator of what we really value in Jesus' name. God bless you, folks.